Hello, I'm Emily Bellet, the founder of Vespod and author of You're Not Broke, You're Pretty Rich. Welcome to The Wallet and our seven-episode mini-series where we take your most pressing questions to financial advisors. Investing helps us grow savings, build wealth, and support projects we believe in. However, the gender wage gap and other barriers often put women at a disadvantage when it comes to investing compared to men. In the UK, there's also a significant £15 billion gender investing gap. So how do we build up our investing confidence? Today, we are joined by Helena Wardle, founder of Money Means and partner Chartered Financial Planner at Miss & Wardle, who will share her expertise on investing. Helena will provide insights and strategies to help you build your confidence and portfolio. We will explore different investment options, the importance of diversification, and strategies for balancing risk and return. Additionally, we'll address capital gains allowance and investing in a tax-efficient way. I'm often asked, how do I find a mortgage broker, financial advisor, or an accountant I can trust? In a world full of chaos and noise, it can definitely be tricky to know where to turn. This is where Unbiased comes in. Unbiased is a matching service that helps to connect you with the most experienced and regulated experts. Essentially, they do the work of finding the right expert person for you. And the best bit? It's free to use. Visit unbiased.co.uk today and find your match made in money heaven. Remember that we are not certified financial advisors. Information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. So today's uh, conversation is about investing. And I'd love to know, like the main discussions you encounter about investing, buyers, challenges with your clients? The biggest misunderstanding I see people have around investing and the challenge for people, even incredibly experienced investors, is what I call investment composure. Um, what I mean by that is it's very simple for us when we start investing to say, oh, okay, we know this will go up and down. You know, most of the things that you buy will show you that and and they'll um, explain it in the sort of warnings around investing. And I think warnings is the wrong word, but but that's how they'll typically explain it. But actually going through it with your own money and seeing that experience is very difficult for people to manage. So the biggest thing I find um, that helps people is really thinking about that um, in a lot more detail before you invest and finding strategies to help you cope with that so that you can manage that emotional um, roller coaster a little bit better. Because there's tons of research to back that we do feel losses more than we feel gains. So my clients don't ring me when their portfolios are up. They ring me when their portfolios are down. And the biggest thing that I do <laughs> for people is really help. To tell you you're doing a brilliant job. <laughs> no one pats me on the back when things are doing well. I think the, the challenge <laughs> with that is that we are there to support them in that, in that moment. So I'm there to remind them that we talked about this. We expected this to happen. We know it's normal. And the best thing that you can do is to sit on your hands 
and to leave it. And and generally that rule stands, but it's a very, very hard thing to do. And I've seen tons of investors lose money by pulling their monies out of the market at the wrong time or trying to time it and trying to think, you know, we know this is not the right time, let's move it to cash. If you invest, commit, understand that's part of the journey and find a way to help yourself, whether that's saying, okay, it's not a good time, Let's not look at the the charts on my phone. Let's not look at what it's doing. Let's or write down the action that you want to take and sleep on it. So writing it down engages you with thinking about it properly. And then really think about, would you still, how would you feel if this happened? And then you find out it's bounced back. Really think about that kind of element of it. And I think that investment composure piece it's incredibly important because it's something that I think people really underestimate when they need to investing. But as people gain experience, so the longer you invest for, the better people cope with that. So understand it's very normal for it to feel uncomfortable, particularly at the start. Some people will never move, remove that discomfort. But the longer you invest, the more you, you see it, the better you become at handling it. But often, and, and that's something we've uh, encountered building, you know, our our boot camps around investing is that people want to learn about investing. They want to learn about the complexities of the stock market, how it works. But with investing, the more you learn, the more there is to learn. It's like this rabbit hole where, you know, you start by using a robo-advisor and diversify your investments. But then you're like, actually, this is interesting. I, I start to learn more. I spend more time on it. And I'm going to go for something more specific. Or I think I'm going to be really smart and make this choice. So how do you help your your client in in the journey? Because there's always this this appeal of wanting to do more and maybe wanting to, to gain more from your from your investments. And that's actually not always a good strategy. No. No, that's really right. Um, I'm a strong believer in keeping it simple. I really do think that simplicity pays off because um, from what I've seen, people don't come to see me to um, necessarily, investment might be the outcome of what they leave with, but it's normally something that they're trying to do. I, I want to make sure I can afford to stop working at 60. I, I want to be able to um, help my children. I want to be able to do this. It's not not always linked to just making more money. Even if it is not a specific goal, it's always about, I want to know I'm okay. I want to I put money away for my future. There's always some sort of reason behind it. And actually, if that drives your, your decision-making, it normally helps people do things a lot better. If you don't have the time, inclination or interest, don't think investing is not for you. There's so many exceptional solutions out there that does all the hard work. All you need to choose is what flavor. Do you want something that's really just stable stable, and might have a few bumps, but not many? Or are you okay to leave it and let it do, do a job and work as hard as possible, knowing it will be up and down a lot more? I mean, that's really the, the core of it. And if that's all you're interested in doing, don't feel there's not solutions for you. I think when people choose things specifically and don't have the experience or expertise to support them with that, you do need to um, accept and understand you're taking more risk. So reduce your exposure and choose that to have an, a say. I have clients that will maybe have 10 or 20% of their money that they manage in that way and they're okay with that. The other um, you know, elements are steady, boring, diversified, low cost, 
invest in the whole of the world and see what happens. You know, that that kind of thing, I think, is is is, is a good strategy to adapt. When you take a really large um, call on one thing specifically, it is it will always carry more risk and you need to accept that if that's how you're going to do that and if you can't afford to do that then and then i do really am a strong believer in diversification the more you can spread your money the more you you reduce your risk and that's that's been proven um time and time again so you talked about risk and how you can you know reduce risk by investing in a longer period of time automating so not trying to time the market and diversifying your your portfolio Uh, but I'd love you to talk a little bit more about how can we reframe risk and how can you determine your risk tolerance when you start investing? Because that's very tricky. <laughs> It's such a fascinating discussion, actually, because in all the other areas in our life, um, we probably take risk way more than we think, but we don't think of it as risk. But because of the, whether it's reputational, deserved, whatever, financial service industry is massively regulated. So we have to put extreme warnings on everything, which is good. I think that that's needed. And I think businesses that are regulated are, are standing to a standard that I think we should be proud of. We're better than a lot of countries in, in the world in terms of how we protect consumers. We can do a lot more, but, but that's important. So when you see the risk word risk i think you need to balance it out with opportunities and think about okay so i am taking that risk but what is the opportunity i'm taking at the same time and that's probably how i try and reframe it more because if you are um investing you're effectively trying to um grow your wealth or grow your money or make it do better and that in itself is an opportunity that needs to be balanced out now what you can do is put you in a, yourself in a better position to cope with risk and I think that's really important because you need some foundational elements you can only invest money that you can afford to leave invested if markets fall that's a core principle you shouldn't invest money if you don't have emergency funds to fall back on I've actually seen so many people Um, use their investments as emergency funds. And that's not a sensible move, particularly when we look at how up and down the world is at the moment. Um, if things do drop, you don't want to be the re to, to, to have to take your money out because you have no choice. You want to give yourself opportunity to take advantage of the risks you're taking. And I think if anything, when something feels uncertain or uncomfortable, I think it's quite a good thing because it means we, we are trying to do something different that will put us a little bit out of our comfort zone, but we should benefit from it. So it would always require you understanding what you're doing, I think, and that really helps um, mitigate that risk a bit as well. So I think the reframing element for me is definitely balancing that when you take risk, you're also trying to gain an opportunity and, and keep that in mind when you're thinking about it. Yeah, no, I love that. Uh, and especially, you know, at, at the mo with with inflation and the erosion of, of, of cash and, you know, purchasing power is how do you make your money work harder for you? And, and, and investing seems like a luxury, but, but it's not. Um, so it's, you know, how, how can you get started? And, and there's, you know, of course, ways to reduce risk. I'd love to talk a little bit about um, portfolio building. So we could go into like a whole <laughs> workshop or course about that. But how do you go from 
financial goals. So what are you investing money for? What's your time horizon? Uh, you know, what's the level of risk you want to take into actually selecting a portfolio of, you know, diversified um, investments, different asset classes, different funds. How do you explain that to clients? And if you could uh, explain us in, in a few words, how you, what do you put in your, in your portfolio? That's a in, very interesting question because um, I think core to that is is you need to have your foundations right, like I explained, because that's also part of your portfolio. So to me, it's not sort of looking at just the investment element, it's making sure you're in a position to invest. So that's a starting point. Um, in terms of the how I construct an investment, I look at what it is that I'm trying to achieve and what's the time horizon on it, which means that certain elements of what you're doing, for example, if you are saving short term for something, you will save perhaps differently to how you would save into your pension. Now, I think the pension element is incredibly important because most of us don't even don't know our money is invested in when it's in a pension. And B, we don't know we have a choice as to choosing how that's how that's done. So when you have a longer time horizon, you might be able to ride out ups and downs a little bit more than when you have a shorter time horizon. So that actually drives as well what you choose to invest in. And I think the core cool part for me is that um, what I've always seen is that we really can't control what happens. And I think we forget that. We don't really know what the future holds. We don't really know what will, we might have an instinct or we might have a, a view of what will do that well, but the reality is you have no control over that. So to me, the best thing you can do is understand that when you hold a good portfolio, you will always have elements that will not do well at certain times. That's normal. So if, for example, you spread your money across, you know, all the companies in the world, some companies will do well, some companies will not do well, some companies will fly. And the balance of that should mean that you get more, um, you reduce your risk slightly. And I think that's a core part of investing for me is knowing and understanding that you can't predict the future. And you, you your core role of constructing a portfolio is that you're trying to spread your risk and diversify. And can you, um, I mean, let me know if you don't want to answer this question, first of all, um, no, no. but I'd, I'd love you to uh, explain, like, uh, <laughs> if you were to work with a client and, and, and show him or her like an initial portfolio, what is maybe the type of fund you would find in this portfolio and what would be the, uh, you know, the allocation between equities, bonds uh, and cash? And you don't need to give me like specific numbers, but you know, what, what, can people expect to find if, you know, the first time they open their pension statement uh, or the first time they actually open the, these, uh, these statements from their from their advisors or their, you know, their wealth manager? It's, um, it's really interesting because we follow a very simple approach. Um, I believe that the best thing we can do for clients is understand what they are trying to achieve help them see if it's possible, what, what what is actually the best way to achieve that objective, and then to invest their money in, in, a, in a, a solution that will spread it um, around with the level of tolerance they've got to ups and downs. So what I mean by that is you, the higher your tolerance for ups and downs, the more equities you'd hold. Um, but even in the last couple of years, we've learned hard lessons because just because something is perceived by 
past investment is safer doesn't necessarily mean it will not be bumpy. And I think the the core thing people can do and, and what we try and help clients understand is that once you commit to investing, you should commit to the long term, you should spread your money really well, and you should look at your charges and reduce that. That's things that I think we've always been able to um, add value on, because if we're keeping people's costs low, we manage or support them with um, taking advantage of tax efficiency, and we spread their money well in a way that's, that's aligned to how they would tolerate risk. That is really the core part of what people walk away from. So it doesn't have to be complicated. I'm not a um, big fan in trying to guess things. I don't necessarily think there's any evidence to show that works well for people. I think there's so much evidence to show that actually only 15% of fund managers outperform indexes. So actually keeping things simple, in my experience and years of doing this, pays. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think especially if you're investing on your own, Having a, a more like passive approach um, and, and investing in you know lo- low cost funds, um, index funds, um, is is a good idea to uh, to uh, to actually get started. Um, I wanted to ask you something that keeps coming up is women who in the community have been working with advisors and not necessarily looking at what the advisors were doing and they sort of wake up one day and they start looking into their investments. And they read in the news that the markets are performing, but they see their portfolio is actually not performing and that maybe the level of charges is high. But what they're asking me is, how do I know if I can trust this advisor and if he's doing... Uh, so I think there's this issue of trust because if you don't, maybe it's you know not the right level of communication, but it's also why I my investment not performing as well as you know what I perceive uh, in terms of the whole market so what's you know what would be the, the things to to look at that's very interesting and actually it's a very um complicated answer because the reality is what you see in the charts on your phone may not be what you invested in we also need to factor in this currency risk so for example if you're seeing the s p 500 being up and you hold that in a fund that's got um, is denominated in pound. You, you need to factor in that there that it's not as a clear comparison. You need to question it. So you need to um, ask for a reasonable answers to why. And there's nothing wrong with questioning that to say, okay, actually, I've seen you know other people or I've seen something in the press about this, and it's um, not really reflected in what I've seen in my investment. Can you explain to me why? that has happened? Can you talk me through what 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 actually um, has caused this? Is it something that I need to um, review? Is it something that we need to come back to and, and, and um, discuss? And you are paying for someone if you have an advisor. So you should be utilising them and asking the questions. If they dodge the question and they don't answer you honestly, I'd try and find another advisor because anyone who's who's um, a professional and respected will be able to answer that question because I can guarantee you that it's been asked by someone else as well. So don't ever feel like you shouldn't be able to ask a question. That's a call. You know, we sometimes think, oh, is that going to make me look like I don't understand? The reality is if you're paying a professional, they should help you understand. So asking them difficult questions and if they squirm, find someone else. And actually, when when, you know, talking about maybe fees and charges, can you explain me sort of the maybe the fee structure in terms of, you know, an advisor um, 
helping you on maybe building your plan, but also taking care of your investments because that could be like two separate things sometimes. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, first of all, financial advisors are not fund managers. So I think we need to really do a lot more to make that very clear. A financial advisor is supposed to be per a person that can listen to your situation, understand your circumstances and help you find the best strategy to do what you need to do financially. And that's really their role. They will recommend solutions um, and they'll re recommend um, strategies, but they are not fund managers. That That is not what a financial advisor do. So that, that's a cool thing to, for, I think, for people to understand. Um, the, the challenge with um, advice, especially in the UK, is that it takes an enormous amount of time to produce a plan. Um, so I'll give you an example, just mm -hmm. for a simple case, trying to build a picture of that client of, of getting the accurate data, the understanding, doing the comparisons and the research can take on average 12 to 14 hours. And that, that's a very light case, not, not complicated. Our average cases takes us about 28 to 30 hours to pull together a plan as a team. So there's an enormous amount of work that goes behind the scenes. Um, and it's really because financial products are complicated. There's perhaps guarantees attached to things. There's um, taxation to work out and calculate. So, so there's a lot of work that goes into it. So I think um, financial planning in itself gives people direction, clarity. And if if an advisor takes a client on, then it's usually on the basis that they believe they can make them better off. And I think that that I, I trust that most of my peers will take that approach because when we take a client on, we have a, a strong belief that we can make them better off. That That's the principle of what we're trying to do. The tricky thing for people is that um, comparison is hard. It's really, really hard to compare charges. So there's um, our business, as an example, charges fixed fees because we really believe that transparency is important and um but we're in a minority so there's very few businesses in the uk that does that majority of advice businesses will pay uh, or, or, or charge in percentage fees and what i would encourage people to do is always get them to work it out for you in pounds and pence so if someone quotes you a percentage then say to them okay in my circumstances what would that actually equate to in terms of monetary value And if you're then questioning that value, please go back and say to the advisor, can you give me some idea as to why you believe it's worth my time doing this process? Because yep. good advisors can answer that question. They will be able to come back to you and say, okay, I've identified X, Y, Z. It will save you this much in tax to do that. We will save you more than it would cost. And that generally is the case. Um, I think any advisor worth their salt will approach it in that way. And there's loads of um, ways of checking um, credibility of advisors. There's different um, registers. There's, you know, a brilliant company that you can find reviews on. Um, so there's there's lots of ways of finding credible advisors. But always feel if someone squirms at trying to tell you what it will cost you, then find someone else. Because honest advisors would have no problem saying to you, it will cost you this. If they're quoted in a percentage, this is what it will mean in, in actual pounds and pence. And I think... Um, I definitely believe my profession is improving in terms of that 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 um, state. Great. But I also do recognise that that sounds out of reach for many people. Um, and I do think there's solutions that's trying to help. That's um, maybe not advice, but giving really good guidance or, or personal direction that will be helpful for people as well. So don't feel like it's out of reach necessarily just because of what I said um, so far.
you're right. I think, you know, if you can work with an advisor, it's fantastic. If you can't, don't just dismiss the whole process completely because, you know, you can educate yourself. Uh, you can find amazing resources and, you know, democratization of the investment platforms. The robo-advisors for me are, you know, such a, a valid model. Of course, you need, the fees are going to be slightly higher than if you were to do it yourself. But to be honest, you don't need to do anything. It's all automated and it's such a good, like, starting point. Helena, given the current uh, market circumstances, I'd like to ask you a final question. With this level of interest rates, should I repay my mortgage or should I keep investing or should I do both? One of the biggest things I would encourage people to do, if, if say, for example, you fixed and you're still on a low rate, is go to calculators and work out what it will look like for you um, going forward. And the, the biggest thing I'm encouraging people to do is to plan for it. So say, for example, your rate expires in a year or 18 months time, start staging your payments now, whether you're saving that money or whether you overpay your mortgage, start staging your payments so you get used to the higher expense now rather than having the shock of that in 18 months time. So that's one thing I would encourage. Look at the numbers. If your interest rate is going to be 6% and your investment charges will be 1%, it means you need to return 7% or more to be better off. So think about that. That's also important to factor in. And other things that really actually is not considered, and I think is really missed, is don't forget that your mortgage is long term. So is your pension. Now, your pension gives you 20 or 40% tax relief. Your companies will so often match contributions. If you work for a large employer, I'd be surprised if they don't match your contributions. So weigh that in as well. So if, you, if you're trying to put £100 towards an investment, a pension or your mortgage, which one's going to give you the biggest um, long-term return? Because they are longer-term monies. That's effectively what we're comparing and I think it's a really missed point. Don't just look at investing and overpaying. Factor in another long-term aspect as your pension. Now, not many people might be able to afford to lock that in and people might need to overpay on their mortgage to reduce their payments. That's, that's important to factor in. But I do think you need to compare all three to, to really try and understand what will be best for you personally. Thank you so much, Helena. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Wallet. We understand that discussing money can often be viewed as taboo, but we strongly believe in the value of sharing knowledge with friends as a meaningful way to give back. This was the final episode of our series. You can replay all seven episodes and the recorded webinar about financial advice and read the main takeaways on the best part. If you enjoyed our show, we would greatly appreciate your support by leaving a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We will be back after the summer holidays for a new podcast series, so stay tuned and enjoy the summer.